Pieces of Yara Zahib's heart are scattered in the many places she's lived and traveled in the world, but there's also a steady stream of new hearts that are flocking to her as readers celebrate her smashing debut novel, The Girls at 17 Swan Street. It's impossible not to fall in love with Yara and the breathtaking beauty of her writing and gut-wrenching story. The protagonist, Anna Rue, battles anorexia nervosa, an eating disorder of epidemic proportions. As a Fulbright scholar with a doctorate in international human security from Georgetown University, Yara is poised to become one of the most creative and compelling voices of our time. With a second book scheduled for publication in 2022, and yet another proposal on the way, this is Yara's story. Welcome to Sippin' On Stories where we take you into the lives of diverse and unique change makers who turn anxiety, fear, and passion into powerful recipes for success. Good stories build insightful connections, but great stories. Now, that's something special. Today's story is one of those stories. Today's episode is an inspiring one, folks, as we head into the Sipping on Story Lounge to meet Yara Zahib. In one word, she's brilliant. Okay, so that's two. Brilliant is the optimal word there. All of us are going to look back at this interview and say we knew her before she was famous. Yara is soft-spoken and reflective, but she is definitely one of the most humble and philosophical thinkers that you'll ever hear. So prepare to fill your mug or glass with this journey of a young writer and mother raising twin toddlers in Boston and forging a career on three things, hope, hard work, and a whole lot of creativity. At the end of the episode, make sure that you head back and you hit that subscribe button and visit our Sipping on Stories website for related interview links and ways to learn more about the people we feature on the show. Welcome into the Sipping on Stories lounge, Yara. Hello, Rose. It's wonderful to be here. Ah, thank you. We have so much to talk about. I know we're not going to get through it all. You are my old friend, my new friend. Every single day is inspiring as you and I have worked together on Womanscape and articles, and it's just such a pleasure to have this time to share your your stories and to celebrate you today, Yara. It's it's an honor to be here. And well, may I just chime in and say, sure. um, you know, just, you know, for our viewers and our, our listeners, Rose is the person who gave me my first paying job as a writer. She saw me as a writer before anybody else did. So uh, uh, it's an honor to be here, Rose. Well, thank you. I'm not so sure about that, but I'm going to go with it and take those accolades. So thank you. We're going to talk a little bit more about Yara on a personal side, but I'm really, really excited to dive into your first published book, The Girls at 17 Swan Street. Before we hit the record button, I was telling Yara just the number of writers that I've talked to that have put out best-selling books are all cheering for Yara because her first book, I just call it sort of a quiet cosmic boom. That's how I'm going to describe it. And you'll get a sense of this as we talk and you get to hear Yara share. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to embarrass you at the beginning, Yara. Here's what people have said about the book. Gut-wrenching, sad, compassionate, hopeful, 
important. One reader said, I read this book in a day. This is a powerful debut for Yara Zahib. I love this one. Oh my gosh. I don't even know if I will ever be able to give the novel justice through this review, but I will surely try. And I think this was written by a librarian who expected because, you know, these folios are sent to librarians and, you know, they probably get a lot of these coming through the door. And so she talks about how the novel really swept her off her feet with words that haunted her because they were raw and drew tears to her eyes throughout the novel. That's a big entrance, but it's a big book in a quiet title. Why the Girls at 17 Swan Street? Well, first, thank you for that very intimidating introduction. Um, why that title? Well, it, I suppose it, it, it has to do with, with the story itself. It's the story of a young girl called Anna who finds herself in a house, not in real life on 17 Swan Street, but let's say it was 17 Swan Street. Um, it's a treatment center for eating disorders. And she's there, she's living there with these young girls, all of, wh- all of whom have eating disorders. And it's the story of how she got there and how she went through treatment fighting anorexia to eventually sign out of, of, of 17 Swan Street. So Honestly, it's incredible. And I'm guessing there's something about the swan there is something about this one. Um, 17 Swan Street is a real place with a different address, but there was a beautiful street next to it called Swan Street. Um, and it also, there's a symbolism to it about being a swan. The protagonist in the story is a dancer and and she's a ballerina. And a, a lot of anorexia is premised on improving your physical image and and disciplining yourself and and losing all this weight so that you can become lighter and lighter and lighter and 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 what is more light and beautiful and elegant than a swan so there is there is a nod to that too as soon as i got the book i read it cover to cover in a matter of a few days i think too i can't imagine the emotional toll in writing a story like this what was that like? How long did it take? Can you share a little bit about the process of putting this first debut novel together? Well, you know, when, when you asked me that question uh, first, um, that the, the straightforward answer is it took six weeks because I was in a treatment center for anorexia um, and I spent six weeks there. And um, the book began as my notes, my thoughts, my my journal when I was there. So okay. um from day one to the day I was discharged. So that's practically, really, um, it took, I think, over 10 years. Um, I developed anorexia when I I began showing symptoms when I was 19, not that I had any idea what it was or or not that anybody knew, and I got progressively worse until um, when I was 26, I, I, I went into treatment. And Yes. From there to writing the book, publishing the book, um, it it took it took almost ten years. It must have been cathartic. Was it cathartic to do this? It was. It was. You know, I've 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 always written to process emotions. You know, some people some people paint, some people talk, some people play music. Some um, for me, it's always been books, whether it's reading them or whether it's writing them. I mean, words, I, 
if I can put words to something, if I can understand, then um, then it helps me process it. And and when I was writing the story, I was really writing the book that I needed to read. I needed. I was very sick and I was suffering, and my brain was playing tricks on me. And and I couldn't understand what was going on. And so mm. I I wrote what was going on so that I could understand. Well, it shows. And I mentioned to Yara, today was about how do I start off describing Yara? Because honestly, when you hear about the subject that this is a book about eating disorders, that's become something very mainstream, actually. And I know that I have heard more and more from all kinds of girls organizations about the suicide rate going up during COVID, the number of people that are so entrenched in social media and wanting those perfect pictures that they're willing to do whatever it is. And they fall into kind of what you're, you're talking about, Yara, this fogginess of brain. But the interesting sort of juxtaposition with this, you know, what it is today and this huge social problem and Yara, you're an intellectual giant. For listeners that don't know Yara, she's a Fulbright scholar, born in Lebanon, has lived around the world, is an avid writer, reader, traveler. So I'm humble, but you've written for all kinds of magazines and articles in Huffington Post, Four Seasons Magazine, The European, France Forward. So don't be fooled by the cover is what I'm thinking, that the richness, the vastness, the depth of thought in your story is incredible. And I think that's why I'm asking about the emotional toll. You've got a fine-tuned engine up there on top of your shoulders, and yet your heart explodes in this novel. How did you do it? Oh, well, I think you do me far more, you give me far more credit than I deserve. I mean, it. I just poured my heart into this book. It mm-hmm. Actually, um, I'll tell you a story. Sure. Uh, right before I went into treatment, I had not seen my family for a really long time. And I, um, I arrived at the, the airport and I was very, very sick and very anorexic. Um, and my father didn't recognize me. Mm-hmm. And when he did, he cried. And in the ensuing days, there were all these scenes where my parents would be begging me to eat. My husband would be begging me to eat. And, and, and they would say, well, don't you love us? Why, why aren't you, why, why are you doing this to us and to yourself? And, right. And it was a question I was asking myself, why am I? Why? Um, and I think, I think just writing this book, it, it had to be raw. It had to be honest because I, I had to be honest with myself and I had to, yes, I, I had to explain to them and, and, and to myself that I'm, this is a disease and, and there are so many people, as you, as you said, I mean, the, the pressure is immense and it's not just girls, it's, it's girls and boys. And it's, it's, it's this, this constant social pressure we have to attain this perfect physical um, image or, or, or have the perfect life, have, have the perfect everything. And, and it, it makes people so unhappy because they're so focused on, on, on becoming that perfect person that they, yes. that, that they harm themselves. themselves. And, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And I really, I cannot take credit for the story. I mean, so much of, of the girls at 17 Swan Street is inspired by these gorgeous, gorgeous women, young girls I met. I, it, it was an all girls yeah. center, but there yeah. are, there are treatment centers with, um, with boys. Um, the one I was in just had girls, but these, these women I met, these girls, they were smart and beautiful and funny and kind and so generous. And yet, and yet they, they, they suffered with, with eating disorders and, and they, and they would either not eat or they would overeat or they would binge and purge or they would, and, and I think the, the prevalent thread was, was so, I saw so much suffering and so many women with, oh, I'm sorry. Somebody's <laughs> um, <laughs> vacuuming, um, <laughs> not in our apartment. Um, there were, I think that the prevalent thread was, was there was so much suffering and so much unhappiness and mm-hmm. um, at the same time, such kindness and such bravery. So, and such beauty and such beauty, beauty such beauty. It just shows. And I don't know that I expected you'd share so much and I'm so grateful Hope it wasn't too much. No, 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 no. Honestly, it was so good that you did share in such a raw way because I think the not talking about it propels it. And I've been listening to Russell Brand lately. He's a comedian. I I don't know. Do you listen to him? Do you know who I'm talking to? Did you know he suffered from uh, bulimia and eating disorder? I did not know that, no. Yeah. He shared that and it really struck me. You know, he talked about being a teenager and feeling like he didn't fit in. He was kind of from the other side of the, not the other side of the tracks, but he economically, the things were tough. His father wasn't around and I was really surprised. So I think, you know, your book shares in such an insider view through Anna's bedroom and where it kicks off that. I think it can only help people to understand that, to your point, it's a disease. To be compassionate and not judgmental, and maybe to look to understand and recognize. I can't wait to get to the part in my questions where we talk about what the fans ask you or, or have said to you. So maybe I'll, I'll cut it off. I'm gushing. I know I'm gushing. I can't help it. But I love the beginning of the book. And it starts off with moving into bedroom number five at Swan Street. So I see what's informed your character's journey. I had wondered if you would read a, a short passage. I picked a section in the book where... The book alternates between flashbacks because in the flashbacks, we see Anna's life before the treatment center and that, that's all in past tense. And then the present, which is Anna telling her story, what's going on um, and, and as she is in 17 Swan Street. So um, there's this one part of the book where it's just two, two pages. On, on, on one okay. side, there's, there's a scene from the past where Anna and her husband and Mat- her husband Matthias are getting on a plane um and they're they're moving from paris to the united states okay and so i'll just go ahead and you'll take it away yeah that would be wonderful well they had they had arrived early matthias checked in they watched his suitcase roll away on the carpet they would pick it up in the states he turned to anna breakfast yes breakfast 
always breakfast, her favorite meal of the day. Their last meal together until she followed him to America in a few weeks. There had to be a pool somewhere. There was always a pool somewhere. They found a pool. She found a table while he pulled out his last coins. He did not have to ask her what she wanted. A pain au chocolat. And one for him. Deux cafés, allongés for her. Crème, with two sugars for him. They had their last breakfast ship all together at the Charles de Gaulle Airport, Terminal 2E. Cream on his lip and his hand on her knee. She finished the crumbs. So that's the flashback. Now, the present situation, yes. she's, in, she's in the treatment center. That's many years later. I remember that breakfast, Matthias says, his hand on my knee. Thursday evening, visiting hours. This time we're in my room. I remember that breakfast too, just not how it tasted. I watch myself eating, licking, loving a pain au chocolat, like watching myself on film. Anorexia is not present in that memory. I could still eat and enjoy food. I could still recognize the texture of light, flaky pastry on my tongue. I could still save a good chocolate spread. Now that memory tastes bittersweet. Actually, it does not taste like anything. I have no taste buds anymore. Wow. Thank you for that. Two things. I love Paris. I've been fortunate enough to go a few times. And I think I eat those chocolate croissants so fast that I don't even know if I take time to really enjoy the chocolate and the flakiness, but I know that I love it. And when I hear what you're reading, the sensation comes. And, and I think that's the beauty. And the economy of your words is something that's really brilliant. Anyway, I got to stop gushing, but it's, for me, it's like the colorfulness of like a Maya Angelou meets an Ernest Hemingway. Beautiful. Titans. Right? They're icons. I know you're headed there. That's okay. And we're going to listen back, but that's just a wonderful little glimpse because you do this so well throughout the book with all kinds of food. And when you're in the restaurant and you're ordering, and you're trying to figure out. I love that scene when Mateus comes to visit you. That was that was my other. I, I was I I couldn't decide between this scene and the other scene. And I think they're very poignant, uh, you know, in speaking to what the disease is and how we're all susceptible to things that, when we look back, we wonder how we got to where we are today, and yet the evolution can happen so easily. We we walk down this path. Why do you think people like the book? All our listeners are hearing why I'm gushing about it, but have you had feedback from young girls or women or men or people that have written to you? I've had a lot of feedback and I'm so grateful because it's been, it's been amazing. Um, people have written and they have called and they have texted and they have sent actual letters and postcards saying either you helped me understand what I was going through. You understood, you, you, you put into words something I was dealing with or hello, I'm a father and, and I read your book and now I know what my young daughter's going through. And whether it's the people who are suffering from eating disorders or, or the people who love them, uh, I think the book, the book just spoke to them because it, not, not, not because I'm special, not because I'm different, just because I just, I put it on paper, you know, I mean, 
as you said, it is so prevalent. There are so many people suffering from this, and it's it's a spectrum. It's not just anorexia, and it's not just skinny girls. Or it it, it is. Mm-hmm. I, I think it spoke because it it made a conversation that was taboo. At least for me, when when I went into treatment, um, it just let's talk about this. You know, I mean. Just because you can't see the disease, just because there's not a blood test, it doesn't mean this person isn't suffering. She's not, she or he, or they're not just trying to be thin. They're not just wanting to be models. These are, they're struggling with something. Right. And right. I, I think the book just says, look, this is what's going on inside someone's head and, and yeah. A, it hurts and it takes a lot of courage to fight and, and, Honestly, that's wonderful. I think you articulated that in such a beautiful way. And to hear from parents is also something. I know I've recommended your book to parents that I know who have children dealing with it. I do think it is that that close to heart and real, and there's an understanding and, and an emotional awareness that happens because of the words. I don't want to only fixate on this book, despite how brilliant it is and how we could go on and talk at length about it, because I think it's just a tiny little peek into your strength as, as an observer of life. Because I think you are, I mean, you've traveled the world, right? I'm, I'm very grateful. My, my parents, they, they insisted on books and travel and right. Um, I've been very fortunate. Yes. But there are still many places I want to go. So okay. <laughs> I need the borders to open up now. Yes. Well, I hope things are going to open up eventually. But I know that you're writing always weekly. Maybe we can jump to, you've got a very unusual name for this website where you release weekly. And it's a combination of, of prose, essays, musings. Tell us the name of your platform and what is it you're doing there? It's called The Non-Utilitarian now because I once read, I I used to find it difficult to describe my writing or what I write and and why I write. And then um, I read this gorgeous quote in an essay uh, by Zadie Smith, whom I admire greatly. I think she's a phenomenal writer. Um, Zadie Smith said she... I will become a non-utilitarian. I will spend my life sitting on a sofa in a flowy dress and a big floppy hat, reading books and talking about art and beauty. And um, <laughs> and it, it made me think, huh, that's me. And not 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 in a frivolous way, you know. And this is that there is such beauty around us in life. And and the non-utilitarian is about all these about culture, about art, about music about philosophy about books about words you know about friendships and and travel and and the color of the sky and it's about all these these ordinary things in our life that that they're non-utilitarian you know I mean there's you won't get any how-to tips from me or or any I I have no (laughs) I I I don't have any either (laughs) I think you know I think that's kind of why I like I like what you said about observer. I really, I have no knowledge to, I, I, um, it's just, um, it's just, it's just all the, the things that I find essential to my life that I'm sharing. So, if, so, so, you know, what's so ironic about that. I mean, 
I love the title non-utilitarian because you tend to think of that maybe in economic terms. And life is about, well, become an expert in this field and then you can go and do this. So there's such a push to encourage this kind of straight path. And I think 2020 was about, well, we couldn't follow that path anymore and everything was ripped from underneath. So don't you feel like the floppy hat, the blue sky, the flakiness of your croissant, the whatever, all those things suddenly became much more front and center for us to appreciate? I could not agree more. I mean, and again, it's not, it's not, let's sit and address and, and forget that there are people dying it, and, yes. and that there's suffering and that there's famine. Uh, I think what 2020 did for all of us was just show us that, hey, you know, look at your life. You have today and today is beautiful and, and it's not about the money and it's not about your, your next big trip and it's not about your career or it's not about, it's about you just, you know, you, you had breakfast with your family and hey, your, your toddler just, you know, did potty. Woohoo. <laughs> Which you're ingrained in right now, I think, aren't you? Yeah, we are. We're potty training. So I'm sorry. Potty's on my mind. <laughs> Um, you know, it's just, it's little things and 2020 just, it forced us to stop. And that's what the non-utilitarian is. I'm not undermining, um, I'm not saying life is all roses and butterflies. It's not roses and butterflies. And, 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 and we're all fighting and we're all struggling and, and, but, but also look at what we have, you know, let, let's stop and look around and, um, Maggie Nelson, um, she's a beautiful writer. She has this this book that um, I always return to. It's called Bluettes. And in it, she has this sentence where she says, um, she's looking at the sky and she goes, that this blue exists makes my life remarkable just to have seen it, to have witnessed such a blue. It's a, it's a beautiful read in, in its entirety. But, but that's the point, you know, I mean, yes, there, there's all these important and utilitarian things, but but also let's let's just stop and look around. And let's embrace the non-utilitarian because maybe there's much more in life. You know, I just interviewed someone who was talking about meditation and, and how they set up their meditation practice and the questions that are asked over and over. And it's always about what are you grateful for? And the things that you call out tend to be those non-utilitarian things, not, oh, I just sold this or I just bought a new car or I, whatever. In our it, and it all comes and goes, right? I mean, if, if, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that. Yeah. I mean, no, nothing is guaranteed, you know? You, you only have right now. You know, well, I have this conversation with you and it's, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm loving this conversation and I'm loving the fact that you've got the non-utilitarian so people can find that. Is it just not, is it the non-utilitarian or just non-utilitarian? Well, actually you can, you just Google it's It's on my website. It's on Yara's Reb and um, there's a part where it says essays and okay. I write one a week and if, if yes. you'd like to read them and um, I'm, I'm happy to share them and yes, yeah. I mean, they're there for whoever wants to read them. Yes. And they'll take you away. They take me away every week. Your travel informs what you write. And there's such a creativity in 
honestly, your pictures are unlike any pictures too. People are, again, posting those beautiful stock types of photos and you don't do that. And I admire you for that. You do what speaks to you, period. Well, it, I, I can't take credit for most of the pictures. You'll see the credit underneath is them. They're photos from um, Unsplash, which is, you know, just these wonderful, right. generous photographers who share. And, um, yeah, they're great, though. So I'm going to encourage everyone to to visit, you know, and check out all of Yara. And, and we'll have all the, the connections on the Sipping on Stories website, too. Favorite artists? You've mentioned a couple. Who, who are they? So many, so many. Um, yeah. I would run away with that man okay, five. if he were alive, you know, <laughs> him to the ends of the earth. He was just, oh, his writing. He's Albert Camus. Um, Mavis Galant, I think, is the greatest writer who ever lived. Um, Michael Ondaatje, Virginia Woolf. Um, I love Jacques Prévert. I love his poetry, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Um, I love jazz. I love Bill Evans. I mean, how how do you even answer that question? It's I don't know. I did not know you liked Mavis Gallant, though. Mavis, she is. I I, yes. I think you know n- nobody should. I mean, go through life with that. Mavis Gallant, we should all just not write. She yes. is. Yes. She is incomparable. I've I've mm-hmm. never read anything like her. Um, anyone like her she's brilliant honestly yeah you're now how many languages do you speak Yara three well one terribly so French English Arabic and And Arabic and when did you leave Lebanon how old were you which time (laughs) okay sorry I should ask that question you've come and gone and come and gone come and gone uh, a long time my my parents are still there and and my childhood friends are still there and it's um Okay. I love it. It, It's where I started out. Yes. Beautiful. And what are you working on next? Because I think there's some powerfully great news here happening. Well, yes, there is great. There is. (laughs) I I still cannot believe it. I'm I'm so. Um, Yes, my second book has just been acquired by Atria, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster, and it will be released next year. And um, and I'm working on the proposal for the third. So, wow! So, apparently, I'm a writer. How <laughs> no, see, I met <laughs> Rose, and she <laughs> and she said, "Hey, you should write." And can you tell us like a little snippet of the subject, or is that under wraps? I know it's it's not at all. It, it's called No Land to Light On, and that that's not actually to Michael Lundache. It's um, it's an excerpt from the text that he wrote. Um, that the title. No okay. Land Tonight On is the story of this Assyrian couple. They're called Sama and Hadi, who mm-hmm. are living in the United States. They live in Boston, and then they find themselves separated when the travel ban that um, the travel ban comes into effect on the 27th of January 2017. Um, okay. For those of you who don't know, uh, it was a very sudden executive order um, mm-hmm. that banned people from certain countries from entering the United States, whether or not they had visas, whether or not they had lives in the United States. And Saman Hedi were already living in Boston, but he was away on a trip and lands at Logan Airport on the 28th of January, 2017, and cannot enter 
and she's on the other side of of um of the border and he is put back on a plane and sent away and so it, it's it's their story so again another timely subject i mean talking about and i don't want to blanket on under immigration, but the questions now that continue to abound about who is becoming a U.S. citizen, what path is the path to take, how arduous, how difficult has it been, how inconsistent has it been every time we change political party hats, what happens, you know, and maybe holding new Americans or potentially new Americans hostage you know, or at the whim. I don't know any thoughts on this. It, it, it's it's a question everybody has to start facing about. I mean, who, where is home, and and who, who are you? Does your passport define you? Um, mm-hmm. Does your language define you? Does the color of your skin define you? Does, I mean, wh- where do you belong? And and who are we? And and we're all dealing with whether it's immigration, it, it really, yes. the story about borders and walls and, and we build borders, you know, we build walls, whether they are, um, I could, I could build a wall about anything, you know, I mean, between you and me, if I wanted to, and yes. uh, it's a book about seeing the human okay, on the other side of that border and, and, and looking beyond these, these labels that we give each other that, they trap us really. Um, wow. I can't wait. This is going to be a, a great read. I, I know. And I think again, really timely. And I love that, you know, you're asking those questions and I think this is a good segue into who Yara is and why it is that you're qualified to ask these questions because you really are. I, I kind of blurted out that you had, I didn't say you had studied at Georgetown, but you were a Fulbright scholar. Can you share a little bit about your background? What was it that drew you to the academia world here, the academic world here? I, um, um, my parents are both professors, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> you were stuck. <laughs> yes, I was, you know, books and travel. And I'm yes. very, very grateful. Um, well, I, I, I studied international relations and political science because um, I was very young and I wanted to change the world. I wanted to do something good. So it was either that or, you know, médecins sans frontières. And um, um, I, I realized I, I cry if I see someone bleeding. So it, it, so it, it was international relations. Then. Um, I wanted to do something good. You know, I, I wanted I wanted to feel that I was contributing to the world by... And I know it sounds it sounds grandiose. It, it, it wasn't really. It was just I just I wanted I wanted a, a career with a mission and um, and peace. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's why I studied international relations, and then um, then I got my masters, and then I got my PhD, and I did I did work in the field for a while, and then and then I realized that I could also do good by writing, and if I if I write a sentence that makes someone happy or that makes someone feel understood or someone I have never met and probably will never meet, if, if I capture something beautiful and I show it to them and I, 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 I immortalize it in a word, well, that's something good, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's not changing the world. I, I don't think I will ever change the world. I'm not. Um, but I'm contributing no. to something good and beautiful. And so yeah. that's why... 
well, that's that's why I studied international relations, and that's why I turned back to writing. Yeah. So you got a PhD in really peace building, right, and conflict resolution. Yes. On the serious side, look at the power of the pen or the computer now <laughs> in writing. So, and I would say to those parents that wrote to you and those young people that wrote to you, you are changing the world. So yes, I, I kind of giggle a little bit. Do, do you use this at home? Do you use conflict resolution at home in your PhD with this when you're trying to write and it's really loud? It has been much, uh, well, so just so for, for those of you who don't know, I have toddler twins. We yeah. have toddler twins and in, um, in pandemic times, we, we live in an apartment which makes um, maneuvering space interesting. Yes, conflict resolution. You know, the, they force you to just sit down on that carpet and yes, talk and, and get down on their level and, and understand why is she crying? Well, she's crying because he took her animal crackers. So, so <laughs> why did he take her animal cracker? Well, because he's hungry, you know? <laughs> um, it, yeah, it, it's another way of... of you know, just getting to the human level and, and trying to understand people rather than judging folks. Right. And I, I can't help but think, I'm sure you're just an awesome mom for that reason and, you know, a very astute spouse. It depends on the day and the hour, I would say. Uh, it changes uh-huh. minute by minute. <laughs> I can identify with that. I would think that your conflict resolution and some of this now in your second book, is some of this, does it inform your writing? It are you talking about my 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 being a, a mommy to to the twins or, or the other or the um yeah the next upcoming um novel but also in what you write because you've got this training in peace building and yet you're well traveled and you you love the arts and I'm just wondering do you find that creeps in and it surprises you sometimes definitely I mean we, we are everything you know we are Yes. We are the, the the books we read, and we are our experiences, and the people we meet, and and it all just. Which is why you know I, I I sometimes struggle when people say, um, when you meet someone new and they say, what do you do? Um, uh, it I I find that funny because it, it it's like you're defining them by this one thing, but but you're not just what you do. You are what you do, and you are what you studied, and you are where you lived, and mm-hmm. and you are the art exhibit that you saw last week, and you are. Um, that the fight that you had um, this morning, you know, and it's uh, yes. it, it, it all creeps in. It, it does, and honestly, well, well, I see it. You know, what are what are the greatest joys? I think I think I know the answer. But what are your greatest joys in life? If you had to, people I love, um, mm-hmm. uh, my family, my the deep close friendships I have, the 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 good conversations. You know, the ones that just they. They're easy and and they're just they 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 sort of lift out of time and space and with with these people, art, books, travel, jazz, yoga. Uh, I love popcorn. Um, um, yeah. The joys of my life. Uh, I'm I'm very lucky and very grateful. Um, I'm yeah. Have everything I need. And how are you managing during this? I mean, you're not able to travel, and I know you've got the full mommyhood thing happening at the same time as you're juggling writing, you know, do you have any, any sort of hopes for 2021 that are going to sort of lift things and make it a little easier or better or enriching or. I hope people, 
I hope the people I love and I hope everybody really can be healthy and 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 together and I mean being healthy and in love really because mm-hmm. I mean that this vaccine is, gives gives me hope and I yeah. hope the suffering will end uh, people have suffered a lot more than we have I mean we we we've been confined but but mm-hmm. there has been so much loss last year so my only hope for for this year is that um, you know yeah. just health and togetherness really that's a pretty great hope i think you're uh, you're joined by millions and millions of people that are hoping we you know i don't know that we're ever going to get back to normal i don't know what normal is anymore and um things are are incredibly messy and there's so much you know what do we believe what do we know but i think that's why more than ever taking joy in the things that you write about it lifts me. I'm always curious. Okay, what is it going to be this week? So, you know, I think that you are bringing joy to people, and I'm super excited about book number two. And I don't know, Yara, you're just wonderful. I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing so openly and changing hearts and minds. Whether you know it or not, you are doing it. You are the epitome of what sipping on stories means. And I know we didn't even do this today. We didn't talk about what we were sipping, but I I purposefully sipped in a mug with Paris on it so we could travel to Paris a little because I know you love your pieces of your heart there. And I thought, oh, I'll sip on that. Definitely. Home. Cheers to Paris. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Thank you again, Yara, for coming. Thank you oh. for having me, Rose. It's been wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Well, take care, everyone. Don't ever forget that you are loved. Your story matters. Yara told us today, you saw it today, head on over to the non-utilitarian and see that that is what's worth embracing today, that the blue sky really is majestic. Hopefully this positive story helps you to move a little closer to living your best life. We want you always to remember that you matter. You are loved, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next time as we sip on another great story. That's it for today, and that's a wrap.